0: Well, good evening, church. I'm honored to get to bring the word tonight. Um, As we're kicking off our Sunday evening service through the Sermon on the Mount. um, And as we commission our fusion teams to go for the summer. So, like I said, we're going to be kicking off this uh, sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, So if you have your Bibles, you could turn to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we'll be starting in verse 1 and going through 16, and as you get there, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, so, uh, we'll start chapter 5, verses 1 to 16. <clears throat> Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. I am from Arizona. I'm very proud to be an Arizonan and very proud to be from the Grand Canyon State. Uh, But my first time going to the Grand Canyon didn't happen until I moved out of Arizona and lived in California for college. Uh, Decided it was time for me to go see the big hole in the ground that my state was known for. Um, And as you many of you also know, I tend to have a bend towards pessimism so I was assuming that all the hype of the Grand Canyon was just hype. And so as I'm driving the eight hours from my college dorm through the night to the Grand Canyon with my friends, who're just so excited to see it, I'm thinking of all those postcards and internet pictures I've seen. And I'm like, those have to be just so edited. They're gonna be fake. I'm not gonna, like, it's not gonna be the same. And so as we get to the Grand Canyon, we pull into a parking lot and there's a visitor center. And I'm like, see, the National Park Service is here. They're ruining the experience. It's all paved, there are guardrails. And so we get past that and I'm there's large crowds of people. And I'm like, yeah, all right, it's not really hitting me. And then I started to wander away from the crowds because that's typically what I do when I'm in the woods. I don't want to be near people. But as I got away from the crowds and saw the Grand Canyon, For the first time, without looking over a tourist shoulder or through the person in front of me's camera, the beauty of it hit me. And so I had this expectation. I held two expectations of it being so beautiful because of the height and of the height being fake. But when I got there, the expectation of the height being fake just went away. Because the Grand Canyon really is grand. It's a very grand hole in the ground. And it's beautiful. And there's just nothing quite like it. And so our expectations drive how we experience things. And so, as we get to the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew, um, we see that there's an expectation for Jesus, and he's not, gonna, he's not what people are expecting. <clears throat> so the first, the first four chapters of Matthew are Matthew describing Jesus as a Messiah. Chapters 1 and 2 show that Jesus is born the right way. Uh, he's born to the right family. He's born in the right place. He's born at the right time. Chapter 3, we see John the Baptist preparing the way for the Messiah in the right way. And we see Jesus anointed in his baptism in the right way. And so everything's gearing up for Jesus to be the Messiah. In chapter 4, we see him fight temptation in the right way. And he he speaks to Satan with authority and like resists temptation on a 40-day, 40-night fast. And we see Jesus as the Messiah who's come to rescue his people. And so when we get towards the end of chapter 4, we see Jesus going throughout all of Galilee and he's teaching people and he's healing all the sick. He's casting out all the demons. All the people are coming to him and he's doing these mighty deeds and wonders that nobody else can do. And so people are starting to make these connections in their head like this is the Messiah. Like he's the one who's going to free us from Rome. He's the one that's going to bring the kingdom of God. And so great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And so then Jesus has these great crowds coming and then he starts the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, one of the churches I went to growing up, we had done some work with different consultants on uh, growing churches and getting bigger numbers. Uh, and generally, when you have a large crowd, you want to keep doing what you're doing. If you want to keep the large crowd. And uh, Jesus does not take that advice here. Instead begins with the Beatitudes. And these are fairly difficult it's a fairly difficult teaching. It's not what you would expect from one if you're expecting your savior from Rome. It's going to overthrow the Roman Empire and reestablish a Jewish kingdom. It's just, these aren't the words you want to hear. And so, as we get into it, um, Jesus has this large crowd here. He starts teaching, and kind of the question he's asking overall is are you in or are you out? Are you in the kingdom of God or not? And so he opens his mouth and he begins to teach, and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they should be satisfied. These first couple of beatitudes really deal with the, the inner life of a person with their heart can, Their heart posture towards sin. Uh, And they, Jesus is comparing the kingdom citizen to people who are really downtrodden and oppressed. It's not, when you hear poor, mourning, meekness, hungering, and thirst, like those aren't, those don't sound like victory. That doesn't sound like victorious people, that sounds like the losers. But that's what Jesus is comparing these people to, because it's it's our heart posture towards sin. Um, we see that this poor in spirit is a recognition of our our spiritual bankruptcy that we're in a depraved state that we can't work our way to God we're not good enough Uh, we don't have a large spiritual bank account that we can just say God just put it on our card we got this We're, we're poor we're broke in spirit um and so we have to recognize the state of our sinfulness before we can accept what Christ has done for us. And if we think we can work our way to God, if we think we can do anything to cause God to earn there before him, we're just wrong. We can't. And so we have to recognize the spiritual brokenness uh, in our lives. And then that causes us to more. And it doesn't necessarily say in the text that it's mourning over spiritual things, but just because of how it's sandwiched in this text, it's we can assume that it's a spiritual mourning, not just mourning over the loss of friends and family, although I do believe that Christ is our greatest sense of comfort in that. But here, it's talking more about the mourning of our spiritual condition. It's... Uh, the... We're broke spiritually, we need Jesus, and we mourn because we're not worthy of Jesus. But when you hear, blessed are those who mourn after seeing Jesus healing all the sick, casting out demons, it's like, aren't, aren't we done with this? Aren't we done with having to mourn? Shouldn't life be here if Jesus can heal all the sick? And so, again, it's hard teaching. To know that to follow Christ is to to mourn at some level. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is not a quality that was highly valued in the first century. It's still not necessarily highly valued in many cultures. um, To be meek or to be gentle. But it doesn't necessarily mean weakness. There's There's a saying among old school Southern horse trainers, that the meek horse wins the race. And so all thoroughbred horses are known for speed, agility, and power. They're race horses, that's what they're bred for, that's what they're good at. And so it's not that the meek horse wins because he's less powerful, or less fast, or less agile than the others, but because the meek horse is the one that responds to training. The meek horse is the one that does what the rider demands of it, that does what the trainer has trained it to do. And so, we are called to be meek. We're called to not be weak necessarily, but to use what power, speed, agility we have in the way that Christ has taught us. That we're to humble ourselves before our trainer, before our... Master, and that it's only through him that our power can be directed properly blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness uh, for they shall be satisfied again hunger and thirst this is not something that you would expect if you're going to follow a Messiah I would want if I'm looking for a new leader I don't want the one that says hey you're going to be hungry you're going to be thirsty I want the one who says we're going to have food we're going to have water. We're going to have plenty. But the kingdom citizen is compared to one hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for nothing in this world will satisfy that need for hunger and for thirst. Here's, when you get really hungry or really thirsty, there's this just drive that nothing can satisfy except for what you need. In uh, 2020, I qualified for Strongman Nationals in the middleweight class, which is 105 kilos or 231 pounds. And as you can tell, looking at me, I do not weigh 230 pounds. And in 2020, by the time national was coming around, I was walking around about 260 pounds. For those of you who are good at math, that is 29 pounds above my weight class. And so to compete, I had to weigh under 231 pounds. So I did a water cut. And so two weeks out from my competition, I drank two gallons of water every day. Then five days out, I started cutting that in half. I stopped eating carbs, and I stopped eating salt. My diet consisted of shredded chicken that was boiled, spinach, and raw almonds. And by the end of that water cut, I weighed in at 231 pounds but I was so thirsty that I was sucking on the towel I was using to try to sweat that extra weight off to just try to find anything that would satisfy that thirst. I was so hungry that I couldn't, my brain had stopped working and I was trying to get my rental car, they asked me how to spell my name and I didn't respond. And my brother had to tell them how to spell my name because nothing, was working except for what I was hungering and thirsting for. That was all I could focus on. And so to be in the kingdom of God, we're to be like that for righteousness. It's to be nothing else that satisfies, but anything like righteousness, we're to cling to. And only Jesus can satisfy. And that's how he can promise us that if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we'll be satisfied. Because he is righteousness. He is our righteousness. He's the only one that can satisfy. And so then he continues um, the next couple of Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This, um, as followers of Christ, as kingdom citizens, we are to reflect what Christ does. And so we're to be merciful. Will receive mercy. Uh, for those of you who are here this morning, I heard Samuel's sermon on forgiveness. It's just such an excellent example of when we've experienced mercy or forgiveness of Christ, nothing anyone else can do to us is unforgivable when we realize how much Christ has forgiven us. Uh, we're to be merciful because Christ is merciful. For giving seven billion dollars. Are we to hold somebody accountable for a couple thousand? As the parable this morning taught? No. Like we, when we experience that mercy, it changes us. And we are merciful because Christ is merciful and we will receive mercy um, as followers of Christ. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart... Um, it implies a purity of heart, a cleanliness of our heart condition. Uh, it shows that we have been cleaned. And as the earlier guide, she shows that like, we are not able to do that on our own. But we are part of the kingdom, Christ is able to do that. Pure in heart also has been noted to imply a singular focus of our heart. Uh, and so because of that, When we're clean, we can focus on God. We can see Christ clearer than when we let sin and the world start to contaminate our heart. And so that they shall see God, uh, it's a bit of a twofold meaning, both of seeing God's purposes on earth now, of seeing where God's hand is on our lives, the grace of God um, and his provision of everything in our lives, But also there's hope that in heaven we'll see God, that we'll be able to, for all eternity, sit and ponder at the beauty of God, to worship him forever, and that we will be able to see God. Then blessed blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We are, as Christians, we reflect who Christ is. Uh, we're going to be peacemakers because the kingdom of God is marked by peace. And so we are to also be marked by peace, to, be, to make peace. We're not to be power brokers that are attempting a ceasefire between two competing nations. Um, peace ultimately starts in the individual heart. For there to be peace among nations, there first has to be peace among individuals. And so we're not power brokers, we're not, that's not our position, but we are called to be people who love people, to be people who seek peace. Uh, In the first century, it was common for sons to take on the family trade, and so if we're called sons of God, we ought to take on the family trade of making peace, of reconciling people to God. Uh, it's fitting tonight as we're commissioning fusion teams that we're going to share the gospel. The only hope people have of reconciliation of true peace only comes through Christ. And so we share the gospel with people. Um, And as we go and as we share the gospel, as we preach peace in a different kingdom, there will be trials that come with that. Um, And Jesus is not unaware of that. Which is why he continues. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake; for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Persecution comes when we follow Christ. There's no question about that. Uh, even in America, where there's less political. Pressure to not follow Christ, where it's not illegal for us to be gathered. There's still persecution. There's still spiritual warfare. There's still social pressures. There's lots going on. Um, and when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. When you're persecuted for being a jerk, you're not. The only thing offensive about us should be the gospel. That we're calling people to repentance because they are sinners. Cause they follow after their own passions there at odds with God. That's what should be offensive. We're calling people to repentance. But that will cause others to revile us, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of Jesus. Um, we know that they uttered all kinds of false names against Jesus to the point of killing him on the cross. Um, we shouldn't expect any different. And so, we rejoice in that persecution, for our reward is great in heaven. We have final hope this side of the resurrection, that we are on the winning side, that as dark as it can get this side of heaven, we know that there is more to life, that we ultimately are the ones who will inherit the kingdom, inherit the earth, that we have won, we because of Christ. And so when all these beatitudes are lived out, when we follow Christ, it's going to change us. It's, we're going to stand out. There's no way to not stand out. Uh, Jesus goes on to say, You are salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything to be thrown out and trampled in people's feet. We're the light of the world. A city set on a hill. Um, it can't be hidden, and people don't light a lamp, put it under a basket, put on a stand, so it gives light to all in the house. And so we're going to be different when we follow Christ. Earlier this week, I was working with a plumber, uh, we got to talking about he had a tattoo of a Bible verse. So we got to talking about Jesus and the Bible, and uh, I didn't get his whole story, but he said two things that really stuck out to me. One, he referred to his current relationship status as his ex-wife who is now his girlfriend and that all of that changed because of Christ. When you meet Christ and you live out the by his power, reconciliation happens. Peace happens. It's not often that you see somebody dating their ex-wife. That's not common in the world. Trying to reconcile with people who've you have hurt and been hurt by at that level that causes a split of covenant. But to fight for that, that's something that only happens because of Christ. And so we're to stand out. Uh, The salt of the earth. Salt is a weird thing, something you don't think about very often, but it has a lot of purposes. Um, But the main one is taste. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. It's one of the main ways I pass my time. I was listening to one about cooking, uh, which is weird because I don't actually cook, but <laughs> it was there. And this chef who was talking about these frequently asked questions about cooking, uh, he said that when you're cooking something and you taste it, and it's, you know it's missing something, but you don't know what it is, And you're like, I I just, I need to add something. He said 95% of the time, it's salt. Just add more salt. It's that simple. Salt makes a difference. Your food probably needs more salt. And I guarantee you the earth needs more salt. So we're called to be the salt of the earth. Um, But we also have to be careful to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. For that to be what consumes us. Because it is... This is showing that it's possible for us to lose our saltiness, for us to not be effective as kingdom and citizens. And so we have to fight to not lose our saltiness, to keep focused on Jesus, to not let life distract us, to not be caught up in unrepentant sin, to not be caught up in the worries of the world, but to focus wholeheartedly on Christ and to follow and chase after him. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket, put on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Light's an interesting thing. So it's, everything's interesting. But light, when I was uh, in college, my first major that I tried out with aviation. Um, And so I ended up getting my pilot's license, but in the process for that, one of the things you have to do is a solo, what we call cross country trip. And so it's anything over, I it's 50 nautical miles from your home base, um, land and come back. Uh, And you have to do one at night. And so when you're flying by yourself at night, it gets really dark, really fast flying over the desert. There's no city lights around. And you're, you know you're flying the right direction because that's what your compass says. And you're pretty sure that if you started to veer off the path, you would get a radio call from FAA. They tend to do that. But as you're flying in darkness, <coughs> out in the distance, you'll see a light that's an airport beacon. And so it flashes white, and then flashes green, and flashes white. And flashes green. They know that's where the airport is. And so when you see that light, you can correct your course to fly a straighter path. You get hope that you're not flying out into the middle of the desert for no reason and that you can land, get gas, and go home. And so that light, when you see that, it gives you hope. In a world of darkness, we need more hope. We need Christians to be light, to be a city set on a hill. On a lampstand that's not hidden, we need to show people that there is hope in the world, and so we're light. Um, And so, we this tonight, tonight as we're commissioning our fusion teams, um, we're going to be going into some hard places, it's very dark places spiritually, and so. We have the light of Christ. Um, For those of us who aren't in fusion, you're going into Kansas City, you're going to work, you're going in the Northeast, also places that need light. When somebody's struggling with sin, they need the gospel. When somebody doesn't know Jesus, they need the gospel. When somebody's been a Christian for a long time, but they're being down on themselves, they're discouraged, they need the gospel. There's, to quote Dr. Joe, there's no greater love, or no greater way to love somebody than to share the gospel with them. That goes for Christians and non-Christians alike. And so as I wrap up today, I want to ask you, are you in or are you out? Are you in the kingdom or not? The Beatitudes are hard, but because of what Christ has done—in living a perfect life, dying a perfect death, being dead and buried for three days, being raised on the third day, ascending into heaven where sits at the right hand of God—we are capable of living out the Beatitudes. We're capable of being the salt of the earth that doesn't lose its saltiness because we have Christ. Of being light on a hill. Not on a lampstand. that's not put under a basket. It's not hidden. But to be a beacon of hope for those in a world without hope. And so, are you in or are you out? In a text like this, there's lots of application points that'll be very personal. Um, do you need to recognize your sin for the first time? Do you need to see the weight of that? And the need for Christ? Do you need to reconcile relationships with others in the church or in your family? Do you need to seek to make peace? Do you need to seek to rejoice in persecution? Do you need to just fix your eyes on Jesus so you don't lose your saltiness in the world? And then, if you're in... Share the gospel. Be the light. It's what the world needs more than anything. Is to share the gospel with people. Just always be sharing the gospel. It's what, it's what the world needs. That's how we change the world. So, if you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity we have to gather together. We thank you for this opportunity we have to dive into your word. To learn more about you. God, we thank you that you've entrusted us with the gospel. That we can take it to the ends of the earth. um, So we can see your glory. God, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us. To be dead and buried and raised. And Lord, I pray that we would just see the beauty of Jesus the ugliness of our sin, and that you would spur us to repentance and belief, that you would spur us to action, to sharing the gospel, and that we would not lose our saltiness, but we would remain the salt of the earth, that we would shine bright with a hope that the world just can't understand. Lord, we love you. We thank you for everything. We all this in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.